You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. Hi, everyone. This is Station F, the podcast, and I'm your host, Roxanne Varza. So today's podcast is going to be focused on diversity in the investment space, especially in light of all the recent racial injustices in the U.S., uh, which have gotten a lot less coverage in Europe. Uh, but before we jump into that topic, I also wanted to just kind of give a brief background to why this topic is also so important to Station F. So back when we were first launching Station F, obviously we wanted to create a huge building dedicated to entrepreneurs, but also extremely important and dear to our hearts was the fact that entrepreneurship had to be accessible to everyone. And one of the programs that we launched to really make that happen is the Fighters Program, which has diversity at its core. This is a program that is dedicated to underprivileged uh, entrepreneurs coming from a variety of different backgrounds. We've had, for example, a former prisoner, somebody who was formerly homeless, who have joined the program and launched their own companies. And so now we've just launched applications for batch four of the Fighters program, and the deadline to apply is October 18th. If you know anybody who would be a good fit for that program, please encourage them to apply. So back to this week's podcast and the topic of diversity, we have two incredible guests, Daisy Onubug, who is head of network and communities at Backed VC, and Joshua Olusanya, who is off-cycle analyst at Notion Capital. Daisy, Joshua, it's great to have you both with us. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Eric, Sam, thanks for having me. Wonderful. Before we get started, um, I want to hear a little bit about both of your backgrounds and how you ended up where you are now. Daisy, I'd love for you to tell us just very quickly about Backed VC. Yeah, so Backed is a seed stage fund based here in London. Um, we invest uh, sort of industry agnostic anywhere where we find uh, exceptional entrepreneurs um, that we think are sort of contributing at least to a future that, we're, that we want to share. Uh, we invest in that's taken us from fintech to fashion and consumer to agri-tech and um, sort of liver therapeutics and everything else in between we can find. So really small team, eight people, um, and to a huge extent, our focus and the reason I joined, the focus seems to be on sort of how do you help founders be their very best selves so the companies they build end up being sort of wonderful places to work, places that contribute to other people's net happiness, um, even outside of what, a, what they ultimately create and put into the world. That's that's the sort of outsized impact that I'm interested in. All right. And Joshua, can you tell us a little bit about Notion and also Included VC? So Notion is a B2B SaaS Series A investor based here in London. The premise behind Notion VC was that um, a few of the founders, a few years ago, they set up a company called Message Labs, so an email security software organization, really successful, and um, they essentially exited the business to Symantec, and literally a few days later, set up Notion VC, and used that money to fund the next wave of B2B SaaS investors. So they essentially invested, and um, being the investors that they wish they had when they were they were founders. In terms of myself, I joined Notion fresh out of university last year. I'm working on the post-investment team, so the platform team mainly, so 
everything in terms of helping our founders um, reach the next stage of funding, we do and I have my hands in. Perfect. And Included? Included VC is a 12-month long fellowship, which provides people from diverse um, um, places um, first-hand access into the VC industry. Um, it's a free program and it includes a range of master classes, one-to-one mentoring, executive coaching, simulation investment committees, and um, a couple of in-person retreats as well. So um, the premise behind the program is that entrepreneurs, they come from everywhere, any background, any geography. Um, but why don't the investors reflect that? So we're trying to tackle that with um and included VC, open up the industry to these amazing people who who otherwise wouldn't have access to this industry. Great. Well, I think you said it perfectly. Why don't investors reflect that? So I think we're going to dive right into um, our core topic today, which was really the reason that I asked you both uh, to join us was because you're both very strong voices uh, for diversity in the ecosystem. Um, and you've both been um, especially vocal on Medium lately, so we're going to get a chance to talk also about your different respective articles. Josh, I actually want to start with you, because uh, you wrote a piece not too long ago. Can you just give us a little bit of background about kind of what were the core messages? So in terms of writing a piece, I actually got my girlfriend to help me write um, 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 quite a large section of it, so we co-wrote the piece together. And my main intention um that drove that piece was to basically set the scene in terms of what's um t- taking place within society today in terms of race in terms of how we're addressing it and in terms of how it it has an impact on different parts of our lives so there's a section on how i include how um covid-19 is impacting people from being um being percent substantially more than people from white backgrounds and I wanted to build that picture and then use um, that scene to explain how um, Floyd's death has impacted black people here in the UK regardless of the fact that um, whether we're in the UK in the US in Europe or other other places this is something that has impacted all black people and then then apply this whole issue of a lack of diversity within the VC um, VC space so setting the scene and then bringing it back to VC where you know everybody's familiar with and essentially implying well not implying but showing investors and founders that this is a problem that still exists today although it's nowhere near as important as a life um, as um, brutality but it's, it's something that runs through the foundation of the VC industry and it's something that needs to be eradicated completely and like there was no soft way of going about it so I thought that the piece was the best way just to get my thoughts out there and um, I received a lot of support from Notion internally so Perfect. Well, I think we're going to come back in a minute to a little bit about some of the key messages and you actually um you talk kind of about something that a lot of funds tend to do that isn't necessarily beneficial. Um but I actually also wanted to move to Daisy who you've also written a Medium article recently that got a lot of attention, but I also <laughs> wanted to start with something you said in um, your predictions for 2020 in a Sifted article that you said this will be the year that with regards to diversity, companies will have to, and I quote, adapt or die. And I loved that. I just want to hear <laughs> why Why this year? Why did you have the feeling that this would be the year? I I don't know. I, 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 I think... 
if I had to put a finger on it, I always, I always, I always imagine that essentially when you invite people to have a seat at the table who didn't previously have a seat at that table, um, they start talking about the things that matter to them. And then the more of them that are at that table, the more noise you hear about it. And then you start to feel this critical mass brewing around a topic or an issue that previously didn't have anyone to introduce it to. And I um, realized as, almost as soon as I joined BACT that it felt like there was this wave. Um, you had sort of incredible operators. You had sort of all, all the individuals in the Black VC 10x10 group. You had a bunch of founders, you know, finding a way to raise investment, notwithstanding the odds and talking about that story. Um, and all of this energy sort of coming to the fore and then things like Ada Ventures, which is Francesca Warner and um, Matt's uh, fund, making it really, really clear that the things that we've been talking about for so long, I've been talking about since I even joined this industry um, or since even before then, were, were stepping up from like radical, you're the only one thinking it in your head to you and this other person are whispering about it to you guys are talking about it out loud to you're making sure that nobody else can you know, ignore you for too long. And I, I don't know, it felt like it was, it was, it was coming by, um, I, I really didn't, I didn't. Interesting. So there was no clear indicator that this would be the year, but here we are. Um, so obviously I think you guys have probably, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of a strong opinion on kind of where Europe sits on everything that we're seeing in the U.S. with regards to Black Lives Matter. A lot of funds, especially in the U.S., I feel have stepped forward and tried to do something positive and not always been well received. Um, just just give us a little bit of an, an overview of your opinion, though. Like, is Europe being ridiculously quiet with regard to this topic? Joshua. Um. Yeah, in short, yes. Let's pack up and go home. <laughs> um, and why? Why is that? Why is Europe being? Is it? Are we avoiding the topic? Is there something wrong? Um, I think it's a combination of reasons. Um, these are just some speculation, but I think first and foremost, um, proximity. Um, I've heard this cited as an excuse for um for quite a few people that I've spoken to um, about this topic and their ideas that this is taking place in America. This doesn't take place here. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing of this nature happens here. Um, black people, people of color here are safe. This type of thing, it doesn't happen. And and obviously, I beg to differ. Um, if anything, um, the issues that take place in America are just well documented. Um, in terms of black people dying at the hands of um, police, like you know, it happens here in the UK. Maybe not by um, not maybe not by a pistol, but it does it take places here and um, it takes place here and um i think that's the first thing so education and um second of all i think fear i think um a lot of people um are are fearful of addressing the topic um they're scared of saying the wrong thing they're scared of being judged they're scared of maybe voicing their support for the movement and maybe being shunned by their network, and which I understand. But um, one thing that I mentioned in my piece, and I it was I mentioned it over and over again, is that these types of conversations they're never going to be comfortable. It's going to be a difficult thing for everyone. Like in writing that piece, it was insanely difficult for me as a black person. So I could have. Imagine for anyone, it wouldn't be easy, but we all know that in order, for, in order for us to make the changes that we want to see, like, you know, 
it's not going to happen within our comfort zone. And that's what I think many people need to understand that this is a very difficult thing, but remaining silent on this topic does absolutely nothing. So those are my thoughts. Yes, definitely agree with you. Um, Daisy, I'd love to hear, Is do you agree with that? Do you think it's just uncomfortable and people are scared of upsetting their networks or is it something more? Um, I, I definitely agree with that. I think in addition, um, though, there is sort of, so there's two pieces to it. Um, because in general, the US, I think, is just a more violent society. I think, you know, gun culture, apart from anything else, um, and a sort of like broader affinity for the belief that, you know, that the extremes of violence are appropriate within the boundaries of society, then it is sort of harder to look away uh, when you're looking from the outside. It feels bigger, it feels more extreme, it feels louder. Also, we forget that so much of the culture that we consume, the content we consume, is about them, is from that country, um, and is ultimately about the stories of the country. So in, in a strange way, most, peop- most people, especially in the Western world, fe- are far more aware somehow of the society of the US than they are um, of other European societies or even you know their own. And that's part one. The other side of it is uh, there is, I don't know sort of the way to say it, I think in the UK especially, there's a different quality to the racism, if you will. Um, I think because as a culture, uh, it's just a more subtle one. It's less brash, less in your face and overt, but it translates as well to like how it is the UK deals with, uh, you know, issues, people it doesn't like, uh, criticism, all the way then down to prejudice. So you spend half the time, I think, as a black person wondering what happened and if you are valid and how you feel about it. And it's often only when you start to have circles of people that you can discuss with and engage that you're like, oh, that it definitely was that. I'm not crazy. So the layers before you'll get to, that's exactly what's happening. And then what it takes in order to make that case or persuade people um, often feels just more than it's worth. You ask yourself, do I feel like making waves? I feel like spending my energy today in this office as a, as a colleague or as a, as a boss or anything explaining why it is the thing that has happened, you know, translates to X or Y. So you get less of the speaking out in that regard. Um, And then it just also feels milder somehow. I think people feel like these issues are very, very distinct from each other. You know, a death at the hands of something, that's really terrible, but maybe you just weren't good enough for the job and that's what's happening. So there's more smoke and mirrors about it and the impact of it feels like it is less critical, um, even though ultimately they're all the same thing, right? They all add up to the same overall structure and the same systems. The same kind of idea you have about a person that means you should keep them out of your office is the same idea that a police officer will have about an individual to think that they deserve more force or less trust or assumption of innocence when they deal with them. Um, so it's definitely slower and it's quieter. And I think it, a lot of that is just scrutiny. Some of it is culture. And yeah, some of it is also that um, the culture of being a, a Black person, I think, in Europe is often you know, work twice as hard, get half as far and find and, and you know, just find a way to be the exception to the rule rather than spend time making waves and trying to dismantle the entire table. So very interesting. I think definitely I heard from both of you that we're Europe is being quiet. And at the same time, there's no reason to be quiet because we obviously have the same issues here. Um, now, what's what's what I'm interested to hear your opinions on is um I think nobody's debating 
whether we have an issue. I think everybody is, even if they're not saying anything, they agree. Um, they just don't know what to do. They don't know how to react. They don't know how to behave. They don't know how to change anything. And so we've seen some uh, responses in the U.S., I think especially. Uh, we had, for example, um, you know, uh, at Reddit, a board seat open up um, for uh, somebody black to take the spot. We had uh, some interesting initiatives from some funds, launching dedicated funds and then being criticized. Are these, you know, relevant funds? Are they? Do they turn out to actually hurt the problem? Are they peanuts compared to other funds that, you know, the, <laughs> the organizations have available? So I'm just interested to hear from you. What has been, what have been your reactions to some of these different initiatives? Are there any that you say, definitely stay away from uh, any that you think really we should embrace and encourage more of uh, Daisy I'll start with you yeah so it's actually really interesting I spent a lot of today talking about this because I was trying to write another article <laughs> uh, this time in response to um, Sarah Downey's fear is the mind killer uh, piece that's been doing the rounds on Twitter but um, one of the things there that I talk about is you know she mentions Quaker Oats in the US, uh, I think are rebranding from the Aunt Jemima photo that used to be there, or sorry, logo that used to be the mascot for that. And then you've obviously seen lots and lots of different responses. I think for me, um, they feel like there's always two kinds of things. There are uh, responses that feel like some that someone or an organization is looking at where they have the most power and focusing on doing the work there. Because if we say that there's, you know, a system or a structure um, of racism that re results in these outcomes, then that structure is basically made up of people and organizations with power exercising that in a certain way that excludes or oppresses a bunch of people. So if you want to undo that, it means you go to where that's true. If it's hiring, then how are you hiring? If it's giving out, if it's, you know, doting out investment, how are you making those decisions? If it's, you know, putting people in jail, how are you making those decisions? And so when I see organizations that are doing things that feel like almost the least powerful thing they could do, the least impact they could do, um, then it makes me wonder, is this either lip service because you want to jump in on a bandwagon and catch in on what you feel like is a demographic um, or so is a need of a, of a growing demographic being sort of millennials and Gen Z? Um, or is it sort of this confused flailing where people like, I should do something, but I have no idea what. So I'm just going to pick this thing. I heard somebody complain about the way our, you know, logos look. So let's fix that. Um, but I think there've been there've been a lot of things to applaud. I think the example you gave there with Reddit is one. Like, there's a question to be asked about whether the individual that ended up taking that seat is actually going to be a force for change or not. And but but separate to that, the actual act of saying I have power in terms of sitting on this board, a really a really important thing I could do in terms of sharing that privilege, passing that privilege on is to give my space, that's power. Or organizations that have come out with actual numbers of, you know, the breakdown of their staff, breakdown of the leadership team, and talked about making sort of real commitments towards quotas, that's power. But then, you know, there are plenty of examples of, of organizations like L'Oreal who put the hashtag and then have acted sort of really recently in ways that completely contradict um, the idea that they believe in these things or they, they buy into these things like firing Monroe Bergdahl for speaking out about white supremacy. And sort of it's one thing to do the hashtag, um, even though you have things in your past, but you could also do it and then also say, by the way, we've been scrutinizing our recent behavior. And here's an example of us really 
you know, putting our foot or our actions or money where our mouth is, we've reached out to her and whatever. But I suspect if she hadn't called them out, if there hadn't been a whole, you know, online controversy, they would have just put the hashtag, talked about how they're committing to change, but then probably never, never necessarily addressed it or done anything. So I think there's a spectrum. But for me, power is what determines it. Interesting. Joshua, you feel the same way? Do you think uh, the Reddit example is a great one? Obviously, I think uh, with regards to L'Oreal, I think it got a, a, a pretty much unanimous vote <laughs> in the same, everybody feels more or less the same about it. But with, with regards to Reddit, I think I'm curious to know, is that something that we should encourage more companies to pursue, to, to consider? Um, I agree with Daisy. Um, I think at the end of the day, if we want to make the most change, we need to start with the decision makers. So when you're selling, you want to reach the guy who makes a decision. You want to reach the the person like you know who's right at the top. So it makes sense to start in the positions of power. So we're talking about board seats. Um, we're talking about um, the leadership team in terms of how they recruit for new members for their leadership team in terms of how they recruit for employees within their company. So I think I think all of these are great, and it's a great start. But my my take on all of this is quite simple. I think we we ought to be moving from a reactive approach to a proactive approach. So in a sense where everything that we've seen has been reactive. You know, this has happened, oh this is really, really bad. Let's address it. Oh this is really this has happened, let's address it. Or, you know, people are talking about this, let's do this, let's address it. But I want us to reach a point where it doesn't take for a man to die for this to happen, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, like, simply put, like, um, I couldn't say anything else more than that. Um, we, it shouldn't take for these really, really unfortunate circumstances to take place to, to spur change. So once we reach that point, then I think the industry would be in a far better position. So I think that's an excellent point. What, but what, what does it actually mean to be proactive? What, what does that actually look like? With the example where um, there are some companies who want to actually make a change, but they don't quite know what to do. Um, so, for instance, I saw a job, um, a job role for an investment manager role at a particular fund, and then right at the end of the description, they said diverse um, applicants wanted. Now... For me, I think that's a very lazy approach. Now, so in terms of incorporating a proactive approach into that situation, number one, they've acknowledged that you know diversity is an issue within our company. We need to address it. The next step is to go about the right way of finding diverse candidates. Now, VCs typically don't have um, a network of diverse people. So what do you do? You go to the companies that have the diverse network, so the YSIS, the BYP, um, the UK Black and Tech, you find these companies and you talk with them, you share your roles with them, you speak to the people there who are specialists, like who, who can who, who can spread the word. Because at the end of the day, if you actually want to make this change, right now, short term, you don't have the, the network. That's fine. Find those that do. So in terms of um, exercising that extra thought and going that next step further is what I mean in terms of... Um, being proactive like you know VCs are smart people well I like to think they are so I don't think I don't think this is rocket science if that makes sense to me so I would I'd agree with that so much because I feel like um I, I almost wonder if there is an intentional part of 
like this obtuseness, like, oh, I just have no idea where to start. Who could figure it out? And you're like, the things companies have figured out in our time. Exactly. And this is the one that dumps you. Like, it's like anything else. You sit down and you make a plan. And I, I honestly mean, like, the thing the last time I spoke about is I was like, if every single person decided in the wake of this, they were going to sit down, they were going to write out what it is that they do for a living. What do they put out? How do they do that thing? And then go through that and highlight any of the ways in which their current way of doing it, what they do or how they do it, is contributing to structural bias, is contributing to racism, is contributing to sexism or any kind of exclusion, and just make concrete strategies for how to do the opposite of that, we would see change. We would see change immediately and we'd see change continue to happen. So if you're a VC, it's not complicated. You sit down, you go through, who do I source from? Where do I source from? How do I make decisions about going from deck to first meeting? How do I make decisions following that? How do I give feedback if it's a pass? How do I proactively make sure this person who has less access to this, to the sort of cap, you know, holes of capital gets passed on to someone else? Like we did it. It isn't particularly difficult. It just takes the willingness to and the kind of reminder that it's not going to be, there's no silver bullet. There's no good intentions mean that you'll ultimately be the change you want to see. It's just concrete strategy, commitment to a plan, and then executing it. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's super interesting to hear both of you kind of hint at the fact that maybe VCs have been very, very lazy with their diversity yep. approaches. <laughs> um, having the same like diversity panel yeah, I agree. every single tech conference <laughs> since I wasn't even in this industry. Like I was like a law student peeking my 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 head into Web Summit for the first time, and I was like, oh my god, they really care. It's on the main stage, and then it was, and then I put on the same conversation year after year, and then I left, came back, and we're still talking about it. But every single report that's come out in the interim has made it clear that there aren't changes. We, I think, if anything, we've invested in fewer women in 2019 than we did in 2018, when I, I presume we probably hit critical mass of panels talking about the issue. So yeah, it's hard not to wonder why we are still talking and not conclude it's because people would rather talk than act yeah i do think that there's there's some truth to that i do also think that there are genuinely some vcs that don't know where to begin um and i'm wondering what kind of advice you have for them i think joshua hinted at it a little bit with the approach the lazy approach to hiring uh, not necessarily going to get a lot of results but i'm also curious to hear a little bit your opinions with regards to quotas because i think that's a little bit the underlying topic when we when we talk about for example what happened at reddit is is there a quota discussion to be had is that a good approach is that a completely irrelevant approach um, so Daisy, yeah. I don't know what are, what are your I thoughts regarding think, that? Like, I always think it depends, right? So I'm, I'm actually quite a fan of quotas and I think specifically, cause I remember the first time they came up kind of in my world and it was when I was still, um, at school and we were, and there was sort of a debate about having quotas in the, in the Irish parliament for women. Um, and some people were furious and immediately I was like, I don't think anyone should be sort of tokenistically put into things. I think if you just change your processes, we'll see the change you want to see. And then somebody pointed out that the problem is if you go at the current rate of change or the progress, the time that there would be anything close to parity, there's going to be something like 177 years in the future. And the idea being sometimes the sort of the way you've been doing things is so very entrenched and the repercussions of that are already so significant that to start to undo that is going to mean like some really aggressive actions, some really, really um, like committed focus to the thing. And sometimes it helps to have a goal in front of you because you can either say, 
guys, we'll just do better. We'll do, we'll change up our systems. We'll change up where we advertise, when we hire, we'll, we'll do this and that and the other. And then do that, but you don't know the degree to which you need to do that in order to see impact. So maybe you do that for a year and nothing's different about either your investment team or indeed your portfolio. But you tell you, but you have been doing something. You just haven't been doing enough of that something. The upside of putting a challenge in front of yourself, saying there's a goal is that there's something to measure against. So if at the end of the year you've done a bunch of stuff and you haven't hit your quota, then you have to act. Then you have to like double your effort or triple your effort or whatever. And so I know that they often feel incredibly controversial for lots of reasons. I know that there is obviously a risk that they're implemented in such a way that you end up with tokenism. You end up with sort of like a sort of silo or like this like little ghetto that you have in the corner of either your portfolio, your office or whatever. But those are also choices, like allowing those consequences to happen are choices. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pro them, but I'd say that even when people don't want to put them, they should still ask themselves of what is the actual measure? What is the yardstick that we'll use to compare our efforts at the end of the year so it won't be enough that we have tried? Because trying isn't good enough. Doing is and outcomes are. Very interesting. I love I love the idea of also having the quota, but also as as a as a target rather than as a you know we we met that so now you can leave us alone. But rather <laughs> as a okay, if we don't hit it, um, you know, there's really something we should be be asking ourselves. Joshua, do you feel the same way? Yeah, more or less. Um, I just feel like given the the current makeup of the industry and the way things work, we we kind of we don't really have a choice if that makes sense. Um, there's yeah we're in a place where things have gotten so bad that you know we have to do this and it's um it makes sense to have targets for these things like you know maybe have a certain amount on a certain amount of um black founders within our portfolio or a certain number of asian investors within our team like i think you you almost have to catch me on catch me on the right day so some days I'm, I'm for it some days i'm against it because i'm because i'm thinking purely in terms of hiring for instance nobody would like to be labeled as a diversity hire so that's that's something that's constantly ringing in my head so maybe in terms of of these quotas um firms can have them internally like you know keep them private and not publish them publicly but in that same respect and how can we then keep these firms accountable for their actions and what they're doing and like you know for for those firms that scream all over LinkedIn, all over Twitter, we do this, but behind closed doors don't quite do it. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of stuck stuck in between two points of view. But I I, I guess today I'm leaning towards it. Yeah. Yeah, I see where you're coming from, and I think it's sort of a testament to the sad state of affairs that that would be necessary, right? That we have to hold ourselves mm. out in order to do ultimately the right thing, but. I also think that sort of those consequences don't have to happen by default. If they happen, it's because people let them happen, right? If there's someone in your office that feels like they don't really belong there, but they're a trophy in order to prove some sort of you know, virtue, then that's a consequence that doesn't have to be the case. There are choices you make, and you can either say this quota is here so that we can find someone and shove them in, or you say this quota is here because we know that the that there's an exceptional candidate out there from this background. This forces us to make sure that we do all the outreach that we need to do, advertise all the places we need to advertise such that we find them. And we're still holding them to the same standard because we know, because we've gone through our process and our interview process and the questions that we're asking, and we know who we're looking for. And we found that person. We just made sure to spread the net wide enough 
that we would that you know we would be able to find that standard that level from this background but it's just it's a mindset thing and it's a choice we make in how we talk about these things and present them and also how we onboard that individual and how we talk about it in, in the aftermath so we're right with risks but um it's all in our power to do and it just takes commitment mm-hmm. i guess i agree and i think i think joshua hit a, a really kind of it's it's the key debate you know whenever we talk about quotas is that you know it goes it goes really both ways. And I think there is the argument for, and there's also the argument against, because just as he said, nobody wants to be that, you know, quota higher. <laughs> so, but I think Daisy, you said it very, very well with that that person still has to respect the rest of the criteria. And I think that's where people overlook, you know, maybe that element. They tend to think that if it's a diversity hire, well, we made some exceptions just to, you know, hit the quota or what have you. And I think that's probably the element that, that people miss out on. Um, exactly. I'm actually interested in hearing as well, because we've talked a little bit uh, now about kind of building diversity within the, the VC team. But how do you, is it, is it, do you need diversity in the team to necessarily have diverse deal flow? Is there something that VCs can be doing now, even if they don't have diverse teams to make that happen? Um, what do you guys think about that? Joshua, I'll start with you. Um, so do I think VC teams um, need to be diverse in order, in order to have diverse deal flow? Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think they do. <laughs> I think they do. I think they do. Um, I just feel like um, the world is way too diverse. The founders are diverse. The problems that they bring and the problems that they address are diverse. Their companies are diverse. And one thing that's amazing about the tech industry is that I could look at one business and say, oh, this, this, that, and that. And everyone else on this call could also look at that same business and pull different insights. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of that is due to the difference in our upbringing, our background, and the way we think, the way we're taught to, taught to learn. And, and these are things that only come about from having diverse teams so i think diversity is necessary and you know there are so many reports out there which have shown that diversity is proportional to fund returns so so there's even more of an incentive for vcs to address diversity within their teams especially because they're all in the business of making money for their lps so um yeah, yeah. definitely it's something that should be it should be um it should be an um uh um, a goal for all VCs definitely but um it's I see I see that stat in terms of diversity and um, fund returns um as as an engine starter so it should get you there maybe for those VCs who don't quite value the problem yet but then once they're immersed within everything and once they learn that oh wow this is actually something that I should want to do regardless then I think we'll get there. Obviously, like you know, that shouldn't be the main motive, but it is something that should be considered nonetheless. I think I slightly disagree. I think on the whole, I, I reckon Josh was correct. But what I would say is that diverse teams essentially make it a whole lot easier for you to not leave things on the table, which is frankly what VCs are obviously doing in not having um, more diverse portfolio. And Josh was right in terms of, sort of you know, one VCs and access games are sourcing did, like is hugely dependent on who you already know, where you're going, what events you're at and who you come across and what founders are aware that you're existing. So they send you things or someone, you know, trusts you 
or someone that you trust rather sends them on to you. So if your if your entire investment team is on diverse, it is very likely that everything that you're seeing is similarly that way. So sourcing is difficult, uh, like filtering things then and uh, reviewing things is really where it comes into play the absence of, of a diverse individual in the team because you know, Josh has a point. If you look at the problem and you say, I don't really think there's a market here for it because you just have no proximity whatsoever to that problem, uh, then you dismiss something that you probably should have looked at further. Or you look at the founder and you say, I'm just not really sure that they were very ambitious or that they were very articulate or this or that or the other. But your conception of, of all of those characteristics is hugely dependent on how you see the world. And without sort of diversity in the room to challenge that, it becomes really, really difficult to do all of that yourself, even when you're well-intentioned. That said, because I don't want anyone to turn around and say, oh, well, we're not expanding our investment team and it's currently all white men. So I guess we'll just park this diverse investment shtick for, I don't know, ever or until our next fund. Interesting. So I, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Um, before we wrap up, I'd love to hear your opinion on how this is going to play out for the rest of the year, for 2020. So Daisy, you've already done it. You did your prediction earlier on what would happen for the beginning of the year. So let's go all the way. Um, is this going to be something that we could potentially solve by some of these new VC platforms that we're seeing that, you know, kind of decentralize how deals are sourced and made and, you know, have a variety of different anonymous profiles on the platforms? Um, or is this something that you think will totally need to to go the flip side and we'll actually have um, maybe what was similar to a Me Too-like movement where we'll actually have funds that will be called out for not respecting diversity or for, for doing inappropriate things that will actually have very severe consequences. What do you think is going to happen? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. Um, I think given in terms of the educational materials, in terms of the data, the stats, everything is there. Like, you know, VCs have all the materials. They have everything they need to make these actions, to make these decisions. And this hasn't been something that's popped up overnight. Like, you know, this information has been has been here for years. So it makes me think if not much change has happened between then and now, then, then, then like, you know, what means that's going to take place anytime this year? Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm quite, I'm quite, I'm not very optimistic about, um, about this situation changing radically at any time soon. I still think we have a very long way to go. Um, and I do think possibly some VCs being called out by the way they um, address diversity within their firms, so both within their teams and the founders that they back. Actually, um, I th I do think that could be a way of accelerating um accelerating some form of change but at the end of the day it's, it goes back to this idea of reactive and proactive <laughs> like the last thing we'd want is for vcs to to do this purely because oh yeah i feel i feel like i have to but once everything dies down we can just leave it by the wayside so um <laughs> i'm sure you probably wanted a bit more of a um a more of a you know um insightful response but i'm just not sure and um, i'm just not sure i'm that was that was incredibly insightful. I think it was not as optimistic <laughs> and rosy, but I do think it it ref, it reflects definitely a reality. And I think I think actually you you're very realistic in your in your prediction. Daisy, what do you think? Yeah, I mean I'm inclined to to side with uh, with Josh in this one. Um, it's it's hard to be extremely optimistic. That said, one of the things that I am 
excited about is seeing uh, funds. So, you know, pre-seed funds in particular and sort of early stage funds and micro VCs that are focused on addressing this issue. Um, and it kind of puts me in the mind of the reason I was talking about being left behind is to say that people who get it are going to stop asking permission now and start running with it. And so when I see 10x10 raising and already having a huge amount of money committed beyond what they initially wanted to, to focus exclusively on Black founders, when I see Cornerstone uh, and other Black-focused angel syndicates, Founder Vine, Good Soul, and other sort of broader, diverse founder-focused uh, funds and syndicates accruing, sort of gathering capital as a result of this to put to work, I suddenly realize, okay, I'm not going to see the change I want to see immediately, for sure. I'm certainly not going to see VCs turn around and shock me with, uh, like, you know, behavior uh, to, for the better. But what I, I expect I will see um, are more uh, Black and diverse investors putting capital to work in diverse founders who are going to start to show just growth, extreme trajectory. Individuals with grit and resilience who've already figured out how to make it work when there was no support with a little fuel in the tank. And I think that's going to be a huge part of where the change comes from. A year and two years from now, those founders, those funders um, continuing what they started. All right. Well, um, thank you both so much for being here. This was a terrific discussion. I think we'll end on that somewhat optimistic note. <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we'll touch base at the end of the year to see what's changed. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much. Um, I think this is this is hugely beneficial for the ecosystem, um, even just to hear your interpretations of uh, you know what's been done, what could be done, the different mindsets and approaches, uh, because I genuinely think that people don't know what to do, even though I'm sure that there are people that just, you know, they're lazy. I think a lot of people simply don't know what to do. So thank you so much for sharing this with us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This was great. And I'm always, I'm, I might have my grumpy hat on today, but I am <laughs> generally really excited that even if it's slow going, um, there are people who are using this opportunity as best as can be used. And yeah, looking forward to see what happens in a year from now. Sure. Let's make it a date. Yeah. Definitely, same here, same here. So, you know, thanks for having me in. And yeah, um, I know I've, quite, I've been quite um, not very optimistic on, on this call, but I, sh I assure you, in general, I am. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully the, the, the industry can prove me wrong and, like, you know, we can see change a, a lot quicker than I expect. So, yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, make sure to give us many, many stars. And if you have any feedback or want to suggest a topic or someone to feature, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter or by email at press at stationf.co. Please give us some suggestions. And finally, uh, make sure to follow us and not to miss out on all of our next episodes. We are available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and Google Podcasts. All right, see you soon.